0: The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday major on the planet with one million and one dollars on the table every week. Yes, one million dollars guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The one million dollars guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.
1: Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode one eighty six on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want twenty seven percent rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group Facebook.com/groups/OneOuter. This episode and all other the previous episodes are on the OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. And Aaron Lapointe, I did start this podcast with the word OK and th- that one was for you. <laughs> um, Alex, it's Friday today. You helped me out. I had a, a long-time friend up staying at my house last night, so... Um, I wasn't in any position to record the podcast uh, for everyone, so you helped me out. So I do apologize to the listeners that we are a day late this week, but thanks for that. Um, How are you? What's been happening? And straight off the bat, I see you got a new product out, launched.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, I'm pretty punch drunk right now, to be perfectly honest with you, because I just released that product, and I said Monday doing all the final recording and all the editing. for So for just 10 hours straight, I was doing more talkovers, I mean, uh, narration, voiceovers, and then putting everything together, and that's on top of the marathon session in Las Vegas of putting together 400, 500 slides. Uh, yeah, literally about 500 slides between, the preview is, I wanna say 70 slides. Or, no, it's, a, anyway. The The main product is about four and a half hours long. It's nine separate episodes. I, bel- I think about the average length, about 25 minutes. I'm really proud of the product, really happy that it's done. Well, I you know, people say that, but Barry, do you ever feel like you have a profound sense of anti-climax? <laughs> like, it just never feels like enough. Do you ever have that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's probably what keeps you and I working, right?
1: I think everyone does. The best way I can um, sort of explain it is it's like when you cook a meal uh, for someone else or whatever and you eat it as well. It's never as good as if someone else cooked it for you. It's like <laughs> you've put all the work in. You've been nibbling on little bits while you're cooking. You've been tasting for seasoning. You're kind of done with it, you know, and you're like eating it. And it's like, yeah, it's nice, but I've just done I have that. And, whatever. Whereas if you're just sitting down, waiting on a meal getting served to you, it's put down to you, and you're like, oh, this is good. Yeah,
2: Yeah, this is a surprise. Yeah. 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 All that, like, working for it, (laughs) Yeah, I, I guess what you're saying is right. Well, last night, I mean, that's an example of, like, how hectic things have been around here. My girlfriend came home from work at, like, 10.30, and then she had to wake up at 5.30 to get. And then at, like nine o'clock I've been working all day like noon to nine and it's not the hours you put in it's what you put in the hours if you're doing voiceovers and then oh by the way I got two hours of lessons and okay I'm crunching this database and I come back and uh I gotta fill out this paperwork to get it on gumroad and okay let's do this web design you're pretty winded and then at like nine forty, I realize. I've got nothing on the table. I told my girl I would cook tonight, and if she doesn't eat once she gets home, like, now she doesn't, now she sleeps like five hours while I whip something up or order or something, right? And so, yeah, I was sweating over a meal last night, and yeah, when it was done, it sur- certainly did not taste that great to me. She seemed to like it, so it's really funny you brought that up. But, yeah, the new product's out. I'm really proud of it. It's, uh, it's called How to Think Like a Poker Player. What I'm trying to do, uh, Master Tournament Poker in one class was a uh, very – essentially I looked at databases and I found out, okay, human beings have a specific way they play poker. Uh, this goes back to the 70s with Daniel Kahneman, and uh, that book, Thinking Fast and Slow, if anybody's read it, is really interesting. When they do this one test where they say – hey, there's 600 people in a town that are infected with a virus. Do you want to, A, kill 400 of them, or B, give them a serum where one-third of the time all 600 will be saved, or two-thirds of the time every one of them will be killed? 80% of people, when faced with a certain loss, will gamble. And it's funny to everybody listening to this, because as you can tell, the expectation of both options are the exact same. But it's funny that people don't just pick based on their taste, are actually, if you rephrase the question and say, would you like to save 200 people for sure, now 800 people will pocket the win. I mean, 80% of people will pocket the win. Uh, It's interesting to me that if you look on river population statistics, 80% of people just call every single river because when faced with a certain loss or to gamble and possibly save the whole town, it's still follows this research that was done in the seventies and replicated in 20 different countries and put together in a Nobel prize winning book. And I just found every database I could try to gather as much information as I could as what home, how homo sapiens play poker. Uh, and I created a strategy against it. I released it. It was bonkers good. I'm not going to be modest. I've only gotten positive responses from it. Uh, I've gotten two negative responses and both of them were this is not game theory optimal. To which I always want to go are are the people you're playing playing game theory optimal? Well, no. Okay. Well, you, you can't exploit someone who's playing GTO but you can't massively exploit someone who's not playing GTO unless you become vulnerable yourself and that's mostly what i put together and the people who are willing to make the are willing to take the risk have found that the results have been profound and i've been very proud of that and it's a very uh there's a few plays i could have incorporated in the system that would have made it much more risky but i tried to tried to keep it to options that had little downside and quite a bit of upside. And that seems to do what it's supposed to do, which is it takes people who do not have 60 hours a week to study the game and 10 years to do so, and it gives them a real fighting chance to get deep. I'm not going to act like it's going to do anything better. It's not going to make you the best player on earth. It's going to give you a fighting chance deep in tournaments, and it's going to put people in really awkward situations they're not used to, and most of the time, I think they're going to play bad against you. And judging by the emails I've gotten, that seems to be the trend. Uh, Master the Flop came before that. Master of the Flop was about the riskier elaborations. Uh, generally, the way people play poker, and this is across every database on earth I have ever found, is they fold their high cards, they call with pairs, and they raise their better. Now, Master the Flop is a lot of how do you get them to fold pairs? Because really... If you don't get special boards or circumstances, you probably shouldn't try to do it and Master the flop was much more about how do we take flops what what strategies could we put together into a system so we're always in the control we're always in control because I found as I was going through every database I could find of pro- poker players uh my students always would lose their ass off post-flop with one pair. And I thought, is, if there's a system I could design to get them away from that, I think they'd do much better, and that's what I did. And then now what we're coming to is, okay, now how do you think about the game consistently? Because there will be times you have to go off script. I can put together very complex systems, but weird things happen at the poker table. And you need to be able to have a framework in order to look at the game and adjust as you go. I will always be providing new playbooks. I actually don't think my playbooks are going to change a great deal in the coming years because I think humans have a way of playing poker. And I think every time you get an influx of new people or just people that don't care to learn, I think they're going to play the exact same way. And, However, when you're playing with... If you guys listened to my WSOP recap last week, you could tell I play very different at certain tables uh, when certain things are not available to me, certain players are not available to me, certain plays are not available to me. And many of you are curious as to how do you make those adjustments? And really, the answer is it's far more simple than you would realize. The problem is... I bet you can identify with this, Barry. I bet there was a lot of times you would face a certain spot and you'd have this this cloud of thoughts in every situation. And then one day you latched on to one thought that actually really helped you in that situation. You kind of stayed on that thought forever. Like maybe you raised Ace Jack off suit, a guy shoved like 20 big blinds, and you didn't know what to do the first hundred times. And maybe the 101st time you went, well, wait, does he do that with Ace-Ten? No? So a full. Mm-hmm. And you felt much more clarity. Have you ever had a yeah. moment like that in poker? Lots of them, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And now, the thing is, usually it takes like 10 years, 15 years, however long, to collect all those little thoughts and to keep putting yourself in those situations before you get them. Uh, and... This is why I think a lot of live players are much better like complete poker players than online players because online you have a system and many guys just come in, develop their system subconsciously and they never update their system ever which is why the average online player lasts like two years. Their system was very good at the beginning then it was okay the next year and then it was completely not useful the year after that. Uh, Live players tend to update their systems, quote-unquote, because they're playing hand-by-hand because they don't get the luxury of seeing so many hands and seeing how uh, just rigid rules could affect that. And they have certain things they think about in each hand that tend to get them the money. And what I tried to do in How to Think Like a Poker Player is I tried to combine what... In the words of Nassim Taleb, don't tell me what you think. Tell me what's in your portfolio. And a lot of these are just tricks. Like if you're listening to guys who make a lot of money at poker and they're privately discussing how to do it better, they'll always latch on to the same thoughts. And it's really funny as someone who's been privy to those conversations, those conversations are actually very simple, yet – When they get into a training video format, a lot of those guys, the few of them who have done that, they tend to overcomplicate things greatly because that's a great way to go, look, I'm smarter than you. Uh, Now give me your money. I'll uh, make you as smart as me, right? And if you keep – I harp on this a lot, but poker trainers do this thing where it's if I confuse you – and you don't understand it, then it's not my fault. But if I give you a simple rule, and you try it, and it doesn't work, then that's my fault. Well, I don't like that second one. So let me just complicate things to all hell, tell you it depends in every situation, you never win, and I go on my merry way with your money. And I don't really like that. Uh, That's actually a vast understatement. That really pisses me off. So... What, how to think like a poker player is, okay, guys, let me give you the basics of what you should actually be thinking about in every situation. Like, if you get, okay, Barry, I'll give you one, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot because any answer is going to be the wrong answer here. Uh, if you have ace-ten offsuit on the hijack, obviously sometimes you open that and sometimes you don't. Most people are like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just because of how tough the table is or what, but is there, like, a dominating thought that guides you there when it gets folded to you on the hijack, like what you're thinking of when you're deciding to open or not? I probably, I, if folded to me there, I probably open 100% of the time. Actually, exactly. definitely open 100%. Of the time. And you don't like that about your, yourself, right? Yeah. Like Unless I action. thought something,
1: like I said, the last time I played in Vegas, you know, where you think, someone's uh you've gave you know they gave off something that they've got a monster like i told you when i folded the ace queen to the woman that had the kings you know when i <laughs> spotted that she'd showed her hand to someone else and stuff but in, right. in a normal situation folded to me yeah i open 100 percent of the times there because it's east 10 and it's likely the best hand from where
2: exactly I you know like okay we'll start with opening which is the biggest you should always start with the situations that come up the most, and you will be opening more hands than anything else in your poker career. And yet, most of us don't really have hard and fast rules for why we do things. We just – I'll give you another one. Six, four suited in the hijack gets folded to you there. Some guys open it. Some guys don't. Mm-hmm. Who's right? No one knows. It's just one of those things like every time it comes up in – a live stream, it goes. Ooh, he's opening six four suited here. That's a little aggressive. I don't know if I'd like that hand. I don't care what you think. Like, I really don't. Like, is it a good move or not? Mm-hmm. What in what it? What is that based on, right? And people will give, and then you'll hear poker trainers give this really complex answer, right? which is, well, it's based on who the button is or is the big blind going to call you that much or how well does it play when it when you 3-bet. There's really simple answers in databases if you play with it. And the answer for that one is, is anyone going to 3-bet you? If there is no 3-bet, and I show this in my product, you can make money opening... As long as you're not opening from under the gun with nine deuce offsuit, you can anything reasonable will make money. You can almost make money with any two cards as long as somebody doesn't three bet you. That is something I can prove. It comes up in my databases, and I show why. And it's going—it's a sucker bet—is the thing if somebody calls you because we then we enter this tacit agreement where okay on the flop. If uh, you miss, I want you to fold. Uh, if you have a pair, I want you to call and give me a free card. And if you have two pair or better, but there's a draw out there, I want you to raise and let me know right away that uh, you have a good hand. Okay? And naturally, you just make money. Everybody, makes money. every database I crack open, there, you know, you can make money. So when you get folded to Ace, you get folded and you have Ace Ten offsuit. You got four Germans to your left who are really good with that three bet. And they have a ton of chips. Maybe you got to drop that hand that day, or you got to go. Okay, now if I open, I probably have to four bet if they're three bet bluffing me. Now, how am I going to set up that four bet? Right. Mm-hmm. But you're now you're thinking like a poker player, and it wasn't that hard, right? It's just a matter of did anybody tell you the right thing to think of, or did they just try to overcomplicate things with everything you could possibly be thinking of, and. If you get folded there with eight ten 10 offsuit and, you know, you got, you know, uh, Ronald from accounting here in the cutoff who just looks really happy to get off of work and can't get his hand into the muck fast enough every time when somebody opens. And you've got Bert, uh, the overweight guy from Syracuse, who really loves Staten Island Hustle on the button watching the hockey game, yeah. Now go ahead and open six three suited. I don't think the three bet's coming, and I'm pretty damn sure you're gonna make money here. And even if people call you, you don't make as much money, but you will make a profit. So the first thought we should have, obviously, we can extrapolate this and go. Now, do I really want to play a multiway pot with six three suited? Do I really want? Uh, uh, do I really want to four bet ace ten off versus this person? But the big thought that came up is, will anybody three bet me? Because almost no and makes money once we're three bet as long as we don't four bet. And almost every single and makes a profit as long as nobody three bets. That is an amazing first thought to have. And what I tried to do with how to think like a poker player is start with 12 very common situations that I do not think people think of correctly and my fundamentals are very different from other people's fundamentals. And I know that they work because guess what? If they don't work, I get fired, okay? your A lot of your favorite poker players can say whatever they want, and nothing's going to happen to them because they can just rest on their laurels. And most people will buy their training products as, oh, my God, the hero worship in poker is insane. And uh, there's a lot of survivorship bias and stuff like that, whereas... Uh, my job, my day job is poker trainer. If this stuff does not work for my students, they don't tell their friends, I don't get new clients, I don't get new sign-ups, I don't get people renewing uh, their lesson packages or signing up for new lesson packages, I die. It's over. My career is done. This is the stuff that works. And I'm getting to the point I want to start documenting it because I think this is the... And it's all based on combinatorics. You're going to see, I'll just use Flopzilla and show you, well, if this guy's got this many combinations of that and this many combinations of that, and this is how it always looks, if you do one of these, you should probably do this. Uh, And it's based on databases, which I show. And I think it's, uh, I'm very proud of the product. I'm really looking forward uh, to seeing how my students take to this It's kind of cool that it's a cult thing still, so I still get the emails like, God, nobody knows about this, and it really helps me. I'm just... It's also nice, the sense of... It's a little anticlimactic, but if I really stop and think about it, because I, I think if you have a profound sense of climax, you probably don't get anything done, right? You just sit around for two weeks playing PlayStation because, hey, buddy, you earned it, right? Whereas somebody who's successful is going to get something done and go, okay, now what? But it is nice to have another product up, and it is really nice nice to just be able to have a body of work behind you as a poker player so that hopefully, you know, in 50 years, they're all going to be playing this game still, and they're going to be digging back or maybe it'll be like in ch- it'll be like chess in 2,000 years. It'll still be being played. And they're going to dig back through the original writings. And I, I'll like knowing that I put my words down and I started documenting how people actually play poker and what thoughts actually cut through the crap and get you the results you want. I like leaving that legacy. Nice. Well, nice.
1: so you've sold it to me. Although I'll be demanding
2: right? it free. That's what I
1: just said. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. all that hard work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'll buy you a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, let's get into some questions. Although just on the product and what you were talking about there, the little snippets you've gave there, which to be fair are gold. If people really take what you said there and apply it, then the key word, we've talked about it before. It's thinking. How to think like a poker player. If you even took out. Pay- poker player and just put how to think that would help (laughs) people's game because, like you say, people and I've I've been guilty of it in the past you just robotic, you fold yeah, I open ace queen here, do that this guy's 3-bet, okay, well, I shove here then, alright, he's got kings oh well, that's just a cooler or whatever, you know, and when you actually think through it, like you're saying even one or two moves ahead and think at the table and observe, I really do think, as I've said before it puts you ahead of 70% of the field playing
2: the the Mm -hmm. tournament, the average tournament. And and to your point, I I think a lot of that is just having fun with it. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people show up for the game. Uh, Something I was really proud of you for, Barry, if I could say that, is just how much fun you had in Vegas last time because that's where real growth comes from. If you watch professional athletes that succeed, they're out there smiling, having the time of their life because they just love playing the game. And many poker players show up as if they're going for a trip to the dentist. Mm-hmm. And I was guilty of that, too, when I was young and entitled. But as you get older and you realize, oh, my God, my friends are really working a lot of hours just to provide for themselves a very menial living, yeah. you got to start taking – you have to start realizing this is a real opportunity that I even get to gamble casually in a – and for entertainment and yeah once you start playing around with it and trying to outsmart the guy for fun you're going to start seeing angles that you didn't see before people always ask me how do you how did you study all this stuff right how did you get to this point and the truth was I was just having fun with it the whole time I was just curious what these ranges look like and most people though they get on themselves like all right it's time to study oh my god I'm so far behind it's this is never going to happen. I got to make this work. It's like no, no, God, no. Just uh, have fun with it, yeah. right? And then the whole uh, what you were talking about, just getting robotic. I think that's an insulation from pain. That's uh, that because if you say like, look, I was playing right because I didn't allow any other thoughts into my mind that could possibly challenge that notion. I just got unlucky. Well, that kind of absolves you of blame and then the pain is gone.
1: Well, you're removed. It's like you're removing yourself from the consequences really, isn't it? And with gambling, that can be a healthy thing in terms of, you know, you've made the right decision. But in terms of what we are talking about there, it's auto play and robotic play of going, well, I always play X hand in this position against this Mm -hmm. stack this way. So regardless of what happens here, it's not my fault sort of thing. That's the way people look at it. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you'd actually paused and maybe thought, you know, a live tell that you've picked up or the way a guy's been playing or you've saw that they're getting antsy and they're wanting to just get out the tournament quick now or something anyway, or in a cash game they want to just stick their money in and go home, then that affects, that should affect because it's all information. But people treat every hand the same. You know, they just treat it as like, like, like we've joked about before, how you play jacks. You know, well, you play them how you play them in that spot, in that position, in yeah. that table, or whatever. It's not just a blanket policy sort of thing.
2: Right, and I mean, just that question betrays a poor understanding of poker, which is, yeah, it's a... I mean, imagine... Uh, so this is a, the only analogy I could think of right away is an American football analogy, so sorry, Barry, but... Imagine if Tom Brady said, but I always throw to Gronk, right? I always throw to this one guy. Well, maybe this one time there's four people on him and you got three other receivers wide open, yeah. right? Now, that's his go-to target, by the way, Barry. But, like, you do have to change things all the time in any competitive endeavor. Imagine a business going, but we always do it this way. It's like, that is the thing. That is the war cry of the dumbasses. That is not going to get you anywhere in life. H- However, if you adjust on the fly, that's actually really fun. That's, a, that's where you get to feel like a poker player, like, all right, I've got the trips. Now, I normally check Rays here. wait a minute. Maybe if I call him, this guy's really mad today. I think he's going to go off into me. I I think he's got his king five high there and all that other crap. And I think versus a check raise, he's not doing anything with it. But I think if I just call here, I think he's going to fire off into me. Or I don't ever trap with top pair, but maybe today I'm going to. This is the fun stuff. And it's like, okay, what, what would lead me to do that here? Okay, maybe I can find the numbers behind it. Maybe I can do that and having fun with it. And I think the detachment you're speaking of, what we should aim for in life is to make a decision with as much information that we feel we have parsed correctly and to let go once the results of that decision come in. Not to say, it's not my fault, it's not my fault, it's not my fault, and behave in a way that betrays that we're not taking ownership of the situation and then be aghast at the results. That there's there's... A professional gambler will do the first thing, not the second thing. And actually, I think a wise person in life does the first thing, not the second thing, which is why I enjoy card playing so much. I feel as if it's an analogy for life. You see guys who are very financially successful, are good-looking, are powerful, are love their title, or love their degree. And when they're stripped of everything at the poker table, you get to find out who's who. You find out what a guy's worth, and if he doesn't have conviction behind his decisions, you learn quite a bit. Now, sometimes you'll find out a guy's very – you might have a stereotype of him, like, oh, the good-looking jock. I bet he's an airhead. And then you find out, oh, no, this guy has conviction in his decisions, and he lets them go, and he's also a very gracious guy. And you also find people that are very successful in real life who are not – men at the poker table. They are crying, they are insolent, they're annoying, and they take ownership of nothing. And you really get to see what a man's like at the card table. And I, I think that's beautiful about Nolan and Holdem. I, I don't know of any other game like that. Anyways, we've waxed poetic for a bit, Barry. Let's answer some questions. Yeah. I just want to say one thing
1: though. Go Patriots <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Hate you. That's you so that is we all, yeah you got it right you got yeah. it right but we all hate we all hate that team in the states all oh, right uh, okay yeah there they, it's just like anything you hate you hate the team that always wins right I imagine it's the same with what do you guys got Manchester United or uh, whatever yeah
1: they've not won much recently but um. Yeah. In, City, in Scotland it's, it's, it's Celtic have dominated for years and years so um, oh yeah yeah, it's yeah so whatever whatever it is
2: yeah. I mean, we've, yeah, we all know they're great for a reason, but we still hate them. Anyway, yeah. let's get into it. Let's get in it. Yeah, that's why people hate Phil Helmuth, because he's the best. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: he's, <laughs> good. he's good. Yeah, I know, good. I know.
1: Yeah, I, I was uh, bracelet 15, and he's still getting all his stick. and, you know, he did have some controversy at the table and stuff. But, yeah, I, I find it hilarious. That's why I tweeted when I was in Vegas. I was like, complaining at the poker table is the new Beats headphones. I, I really find that. <laughs> I, I I really do find that it's like if people complain, it's like they feel like they know about. But like, yeah, I'm not happy with this ruling. Could you get a floor over here? Like, this guy's fucking chair's too close to mine. Uh, that should be square on there. It's not square. It's not square. And then, um, you know what else? It's like, oh, uh, this guy. Yeah. What? Well, what's the proper ruling here? It's all about rulings and stuff. And like you say. That's someone signaling like this isn't my first rodeo. I know what I'm doing here. I am a master of poker, you know. And I, <laughs> I hate all. That. I just like just whatever. Like under, just play the game. Could we just get
2: another hand? Or you know, it's just well, it's, yeah. And I mean, real wisdom would realize how many times have you called the floor over and the floor hasn't yeah. sided with the dealer. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Exactly. You can't think of one, right? Exactly. I, I had a situation. I got screwed at the WSB main event. A guy dropped one chip in, then announced ounce raised, and threw the other chip. And I pointed, and I said, that's a call. And the dealer went. The dealer was obviously in a crap mood, uh, which, by the way, that's not my fault, right? That has nothing to do with me. Uh, and I go, that's a call. And he goes, no, that's a raise. And I go, no, he dropped one chip in, that's a call. Then he declared raise, that's a string bet, it's a call. And he goes, no, it's a raise. And the, an Asian gentleman to my left, he, he didn't speak English, but he, he went to the dealer, no, he dropped one chip, uh, he, he actually like mimicked it, right, to say, like, no, you're wrong. And the guy goes, no, it's a raise. And I said, okay, I'm just going to make this really clear, you're going to call it a raise. Like for sure. And he goes, yes, I'm going to call it a raise. And I went five. Right. And I let it go. I could have called the floor over, but they're going to do it. Well, spirit of a game, yada, yada, whatever it is. He's got to work with his dealer all next year. Right. He's never going to see me again. There's nothing in it for him to call it for me. Right. And I probably, you know, I really beat myself up about I should have called the floor. But, like, then the dealer started getting into it with me. And I realized what's going to happen is the floor is going to ask the dealer. The dealer is going to go, I didn't see it. And then or he's going to say, no, he declared raise. And I'm going to lose. So what's going to happen is 99% of the time I just, I just wasted five minutes of the table's time, right? So I let it go. And... It's one of those things, like, yeah, I could have really postured, right, and argued with the floor, and I'm not going to lie. Like, that would have gratified my ego. I would have gotten my money's worth out of a BS call. But it's so selfish, right, especially when you know you're going to lose. I have called the floor over no less than 20 times in my life. I have never gotten a ruling overturned, never. Every single time I have checked the rule book and been right. I have never gotten a ruling overturned. Mm-hmm. So I just give up, right? Because it's just, yeah, yeah. okay, whatever. Yeah, but, yeah, it's yeah, to, it's funny. They're trying to show this isn't my first rodeo. But if you think about the Isaac Haxtons or the Justin Bonamos or the Fader Holzes of the world, how do they treat the staff?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Pretty politely, right? They, it's because they know they're not going to win, and they're pretty much – you're pretty much at their mercy. You have to keep good relations with them. Posturing and yelling at people is not going to help you. So, yeah, anyway,
1: moving forward. Yeah, don't complain at poker tables. It just makes sense. Okay, the first question, well, it's more an email in and a little bit of a question. Uh, This one was pre-WSOP. It's not a troll, Alex. So I hope (laughs) you have a great WSOP main event, Brad writes in. (laughs) Uh, maybe I'll come and cheer you on from the rail I wanted to share something I replied to a discussion group from the Wednesday Poker uh, discussion group today the topic was that kind of games players do you want to, prefer to play against wild games versus predictable games etc I think both can be profitable as long as you adapt to your opponents and their playing styles and it reminded me of a quote from one of the books that Tommy Angelo recommended no matter where you go there you are And also, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. And thereby, John Kabat-Zinn, We should give credit to the people that write the quotes, and he says, so choose the waves you enjoy the most and have the skills to ride. Um, So what games do you sort of look at, Alex, that that you want to be involved in? I'm assuming
2: he's meaning tournament and cash games. Well, that's actually a really good question, Brad. Thank you. The games I really like playing right now, I'm not going to lie, I love playing the WCP main event because I know how pros think and I know where the errors are. So I could tell you I love wild, unpredictable games where money's flying around, but that would not be intellectually honest because what really gets me jacked up is WSOPs, WPTs, EPTs, because it's the most money and... A lot of pros do some stupid things. They just, I, I don't, not even pros because there's no way all these guys are making money from poker. But guys who show up and act like pros, you know, as Barry was saying, uh, complaining is the new beat hand. But uh, guys who act like it's not their first rodeo, just little things like they're gonna three bet you, they time bank every single time you raise and. You just go, okay, I guess I'm going to have to adjust my opening range. And that just little things like every single time I three-bet, they call out a position and play the exact same strategy, Uh, almost to the point where when somebody four-bets me, I want to clap like I'm so proud of you. Like, look at you. Look at you. And do I prefer those games? Yeah, I really love the competition. I really love the predictability of pros who pretty much... As long as I'm in the English-speaking world, I know where they were educated, what they listen to, what concepts they espouse, and I know the back door uh, to take care of that. Now, wild games, I've played in a few of my time. They're certainly exciting, but I won't lie when I was on a limited bankroll, like there was a time I was playing with 20 buy-ins and not even 20 buy-ins, like 10 buy-ins. I was playing like Euro Cash, and it'd be like five ten to start, but somebody would always straddle, and the deuce seven rule was on, and this was five ten Euro back when the Euro, like one it was like one point seven dollars to one Euro, right? And I'm sitting there with twenty k in these underground games in Germany or wherever, and. It, I'm not gonna act like I loved it. It was nauseating. It was one of those it was one of those games where a guy would just grab a stack of a thousand Euros and throw it in and go, I haven't looked in my hand. It was a good game, don't get me wrong, but you wanna talk about vomiting. Uh just the swings were insane. And when I it was it exciting as a poker player, yes there was one hand where I called down with second pair versus, like, three barrels and made... You know, I would have had to win the $30 rebuy, like, twice to win what was ever in the pot, right, at the time. And I was a tournament donk when I was 19, and that that was a big deal for me. And that was very exciting, but (coughs) as a poker professional, wow, that stuff is not fun. Because the idea... Barry and I talk about this a lot, where this is the thing to me, this is kind of like a value judgment. It's kind of weird that we went in this topic, but the goal to me to be a poker professional is to never answer to another man. To be, I will take gigs as a creator of content, but I love knowing I can fire every single person that I work with. If they're being unreasonable or talking to me in a fashion I don't care for. Uh, I like waking up knowing everything I'm doing today is designed by me where I live, my apartment, my time. I like when my girlfriend is going to be really ragged coming home. I like that I have the luxury of the time to go to the market and make her dinner. And I don't have a boss saying, nope, you got to stay late tonight for that presentation. That is my salary. And every day I feed my family with my salary, I am a champion in my mind. It has nothing to do with titles. It doesn't have anything to do with being the most feared cash game player. That is my value system. So from that, what games do I prefer? I loved, absolutely loved, 16 tables, 16 tables of 100 dollars. That was one of my favorite times ever in my life in poker because it was a metagame. I was 12-tabling with the same people, and that's when all the GTO stuff came in and then realizing when they got off of it and then uh, exploiting it. And it was a rush, right? And if I lost a buy-in, hey, so what? Moving on, right? I had hundreds of buy-ins. I, every, every month, my rake-back check got bigger. I could quit anytime I wanted. And it was just... Right. It was just every day going to work was a blast because you were just going after people and stuff like that. That was my, you know, one, two was also like one, two was the only limit I like beat the bejesus out of. And that was my favorite. Uh, Playing tournaments was really fun. Playing small tournaments. Uh, Those are the games I really like because I liked being able to figure out my opponents, wake up in in the morning Look at databases. Drink coffee. Make scouting reports. Feel like, hey, I do compete for a living. That that was really fun. Those big cash games that were wild. Yeah, I came out. Let's see. I did play twenty-five, fifty, and one a few times. Probably didn't make money there. I did play five, ten, twenty. I I did make money there. Pretty much a wash. And I, I, I'm not gonna lie. Like every minute was stressful in those games and the few professionals that are in those games dear god they can look at you and know exactly what you're doing and that's super stressful I i rather take money from bums have a good life not gonna lie that's how I you might think that makes me not like the killer poker player that other people are I don't really care I like my life and I've had it for 12 years that's my that's my answer Brad
0: yeah
1: and uh we got time for one more question um, this Let's one, do it. This one is from G. Uh, hello, Alex. in a
2: oh, tra- <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hello, Alex.
1: In a current training video I have been watching, they say you should lead the turn as the flop caller when a lot of draws came in and barrel the river, but you should check raise when only a few draws came in. So do you agree? If so, do you also consider effective stack size? When deciding whether to lead or check these. Thanks.
2: Well, that's a. I had a guy do that play to me this year at the World Series, and. Well, there's a lot of things that have to line up for that, right? Which is. Okay, so what they're saying is, let's say you. You, uh, you check call out of position, and you have, like, third pair, right? And the turn brings in a bunch of draws, and you lead out. And then on the river, you lead out. That's a really good idea, at least the turn bet, a lot of the time, because if the guy just had air, and he was c-betting, he's going to fold anyway. But the truth is you're beating a lot of those hands anyway, and a lot of them aren't going to do a bet-check-bet line as a bluff. It, it's a good play versus a guy that's going to semi-bluff and you have no idea what to do with third pair. I like that play. The problem I have is a lot of guys will bet the river again and that's, there's a couple things that need to happen when that, when you do that. One, you need to get a guy who will fold one pair. A lot of the guys who make these training videos play pretty high-stakes games where folding one pair is old hat. In... A lot of the games you guys are playing, nobody's folding a pair, especially if it's a top pair or something like that. Uh, that. I'll be. Uh, okay, so he's saying, like, you check call the flop and you lead the turn when a lot of draws come in, and it, like, just as a total bluff? Or what else did he say? I, I feel like I'm not getting every detail of this question.
1: Um, I just read it for a bit, and it's. Uh when you lead the turn as the pre preflop caller, when a lot of draws come in and barrel the river, but you should
2: check these when only a few yeah. draws come in. Right, like that again. That's a that's a really good play versus guys that are going to fold one pair. I maybe just because I just left Vegas, but you you and I both know Barry. How good were those people at folding a pair? Yeah, not great. (laughs) Right, I mean, it's one of those things, like, I'm not saying it's never going to work, it's just, this play is made for, like, really good games, where, like, okay, say you hit, the biggest problem when you check call with a, a draw out of position is once you hit and you lead out, most people know exactly what you have, and there goes the top pair, if the guy is good. So this guy's saying, hey, why don't you take advantage of that, and go ahead and lead out on that turn when you have nothing... And then once the guy keeps folding, you get him a little pissed off. Next time you hit that draw, you lead out. And maybe you're going to get paid off in a big pot, which I like that play. But the thing poker trainers, I don't know if poker trainers always think about, or maybe this was a high-stakes poker training session, I don't know, is that a lot of the peop- most of the people that are into poker culture, most of the people that are poker fans that are trying to improve their game, play $200 tournaments live, 1-3 no limit, and they play like $40 tournaments online. That play will not work in a lot of those games. You're going to get a lot of doy, I call. And then you're going to go, damn it, you should have seen my super subtle life. <laughs> Like So many of my draws came in, and I lead, led them, and the guy's going to go, he's not thinking, he just knows he has a pair. Yeah, And Instead of forfeiting and losing, he would much rather... He maybe didn't even see some of the draws, seriously. Yeah, that happens a lot. I've seen that happen a lot, where the draw comes in. I had a couple draw, and, like, the kid who bluffed me, by the way, he timed it really well because all the draws came in. I had a garbage pair, and I tried to talk to him and get, like, a little tell, and he was as cool as a cucumber, which most guys aren't. When they're bluffing, I went fine. You got it, and then he showed me the bluff, which was confusing. But I, why do you show uh, Barry? Have you ever shown a bluff? I, this is kind of off topic, but why? Why do people show bluffs? Uh, I've showed them in the right games I'm playing and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like for fun, right? Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. like cash game, and where it's gonna be like ah. I, but I, have,
1: I don't show them in like tournaments for randoms who I've never played before.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right, like I've never spoken to this guy in my life, and I he had position on me. There was no, like, he's going to get one over on me all day regardless. Right now. He's just showing me really don't open. Right. (laughs) Like if you have that kind of game, let the guy keep opening into you and let him not know. Right. And then anyway, just like from a strategist point of view, that always confuses me because if people could see my biggest bluffs, I don't think I would get away with a lot. And, I just – I can never imagine showing them. Like, I get it. You're at the final table. You pull off the bluff of your life. The crowd is going to go nuts if you show it. Have fun. Go for it, right? But other than that, I I don't get it. But anywho, uh, yeah, I I really like this play with other pros. It also allows you to check call with – like, let's say you get a draw and you feel like this guy knows donk betting theory – and he's going to know if I lead here. A lot of it's going to be draws, uh, just because there's not many combos of two pair, and he doesn't know I can lead with top pair, right? Or if it's a board you wouldn't lead top pair typically, like 10-6-5. You're probably not leading top pair as much. Uh, so I would, and check raise I don't think is going to work because this guy's really good. Uh, I think he's really likely to call and see if I'll barrel in him on the turn or river. So I'll check call. I'll lead the turn when the draw comes in. I'll just kind of look like a dolt who hit my draw. And a lot of times he's going to go, oh, okay, fine. I I give up. And, you know, if he does get suspicious, maybe the next time I get a draw and I hit it, I can lead, right? Or however, sorry, I I switch between hands and my range there. But I think you can see the logic. But I I think versus more basic competition, a lot of times I, I just lead with the draw, they usually call me with all their high cards. Then I lead again on the turn. They fold all their high cards and even some of their you know, their under pairs and maybe their bottom pairs, especially you, if you use a bigger bet. And that, that bet is really profitable. And then if they do call you, those are the same guys that will never fold when the draw comes in on the river. So you get a really big river bet out of them. So I think that's a play you can default to with a lot of guys that are You know, in the mid Poker Tour or Heartland Poker Tour or uh, WCPC or something like that. Hope that helps you, G. Thank you for a softball today. I I, I really appreciate it. Okay. All right, that is all we have time for this
1: week. Alex, thanks for joining us. And, again, thanks for accommodating me and recording this one on Friday. Um, How can people get in touch with you and order the new poker product, which is Thinking Like a Poker Player?
2: How to think like a poker player. How to yes, think sir. like a poker player. It's uh same thing. Yeah, you did. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, well, guys, if you want to check out the new product, it's going to be in the liner notes here. Uh, you can check out the cool box art. And, yeah, check out the Gumroad page if you want to learn out learn more about it. If, uh, if you want some free stuff, you don't want to plop down money yet, uh, sign up for my newsletter. I have a one-hour preview of this webinar coming out. Uh, and I promise you, you're going to love it. It's, I've already like, done the PowerPoint and have all my notes, and I just love it. Uh, if that's going to be coming out in a few days, if you want to make sure you get a copy of that for free or get that as soon as it comes out, uh, go ahead and sign up for my newsletter. Go to pokerheadrush.com, which is my butt-ugly blog I've had for 10 years at I've Never Updated. Go to the top right and sign up for my newsletter, which is much prettier and comes out most days uh, with free stuff. And, uh, yeah, check me out on YouTube at uh, Assassin Auto Coaching, or you can just Google. I mean, you can look up in YouTube Master Poker in Three Minutes. Uh, I've just put out four mini training videos for you guys who are really busy. Uh, follow me on Twitter at the assassinato and if you got any questions or want to talk about anything, my email address is alex at pokerheadrush.com. Finally, check out my classic training videos at Tournament Poker Edge. Okay.
1: Uh, keep your questions coming in for Alex on future show. Please email questions at oneouter.com or post them in the Facebook group or tweet me at oneouter.com on Twitter. Alex, thanks again for joining us and we'll see you all next week. Cheers. Cheers.
0: The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with one million and one dollars on the table every week. Yes, one million dollars guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The one million dollars guaranteed tournament is happening weekly. All for just $265 dollars a pop. For all the info, check out AmericasCardRoom.EU.